Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of positioning by Al Rees and Jack Trout, The Battle for Your Mind. The authors of a book we've done previously, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. This is one of those sort of early 80s marketing classics that uh, I probably should have read a long time ago. Yes, especially because it's actually grown in its relevance and significance. Pretty much every message in the book has been amplified from the the world trend since they wrote it. In uh, marketing textbooks in the 50s, 60s and 70s, and really even all the way through till today, they talk about the four Ps. Whenever you're building a marketing campaign, you need product, price, place and promotion. And that was a, it's a pretty simplistic view of marketing. The big P that's been missed that the, uh, that the authors are adding now is positioning. Yeah, positioning cuts across all the other Ps and is sort of like a meta P in many ways because firstly, it can uh, affect product. As an example, Volvo, uh, it really innovates in safety features in their new cars because they own the position in the market of the safest cars. So anyone out there wanting to buy a safe car they immediately think of Volvo because that's how it's positioned in the mind. Positioning, it can also affect the P of price. Hagen dazs they consciously want to introduce a premium ice cream into the market. So by taking the position of premium, that affects the price because if you want to be a premium ice cream, then you need to have a premium price. Positioning, it can also affect place. Uh, your mate, uh, what's that dude's name? The investor dude, the book oh, that I hated. One Howard out of Marks. No, 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 the other one. One up on Wall Street. Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch, that's it. His uh, big one was legs that he made billions of dollars on apparently. Uh, they took uh, the positioning of like place. They want to be pantyhose that you didn't have to go to the big shopping center, the fashion stores to buy. They want to have them that you could just buy at the supermarket. So that positioning affected the place as well. And positioning can, of course, affect promotion. If you think about Domino's, it's one of the top pizza chains around the world because it's positioned itself as speed and that's how it's promoted as well. If you don't get the pizza within, I'm going to cook this within 30 minutes or something, something happens. But either way, their position is is fast. If If you want a fast pizza on a Friday night, your brain just goes straight to Domino's. So this book is all about a new approach to communication, which is positioning. So we're going to talk specifically through the medium of advertising because advertising when it comes to communication is where you need to be really on your game. Nobody wants to watch ads or listen to ads or read ads so the communication needs to be perfect but of course those lessons from advertising, the lessons of positioning can extrapolate to all other areas of communication. Yeah, it includes everything, politics, war, business, in the office, pursuing a romantic partner, you know, when you're on the Tinder profile, you're in the the sea of everything, or even just your career. Are you going to be someone who's just a commodified person with a skill set that everyone else has outside of university, or are you going to be positioned as something different and come first to mind uh, for potential employers? Yeah, whether you're convincing a stranger to buy a product or whether you're trying to convince your partner of what movie to watch on a Friday night, positioning is a vitally important tool in your communication toolkit. Positioning starts with a product or an idea or a company or a service or a person, but positioning is not what you do to that product. Positioning is actually what happens in the mind of the prospect, in the mind of the person you're trying to communicate to. You position that idea inside their mind. So why do we need this approach? Uh, If you think about today, there's all sorts of advertisers with huge budgets just assaulting your brain almost every minute every day and everyone really wants your attention. If you think about books, there's actually 30,000 new books published every single year. I mean, how are you going to cut through them? 
Yeah, and that was in the, that was when they wrote the book in the 1970s. Today, we're talking over a million books every single year. Uh, there's some wild stats here as well. Every hour, 30,000 hours of video is up, uploaded to YouTube. So, just physically, you just can't possibly watch it all. Every day, 95 million photos or videos are uploaded to Instagram. And then if you think of in the personal context, just how much stuff you're assaulted with all day, every day, that just our, there's, there's just really a traffic jam of all the kinds of crap that are trying to get inside of our brains. Yeah, I could not tell you the last TV ad that sort of cut through into my mind that's uh, it's in my memory because it's just a big sea of sameness. So there's really just a traffic jam in the turnpikes of the mind of the people you're trying to reach and also our minds as well. Really, the only way to cut through the traffic jam, if you want to communicate something to somebody, is you need to take the the ideas or the concepts of advertising, of positioning, of the Madison Avenue madmen, uh, and use these techniques of communication to cut through all the crap that is just thrown at us on a daily basis. So today, we're in an over-communicated society, getting bombarded in every single direction. The only defense we've got as individuals roaming around the streets and roaming around all the advertisements is just to have an oversimplified mind and kind of numb to it all. Our mind is a lot like a sponge. When it's dry, it sucks up all of the the moisture, but once the sponge gets wet, it ain't picking anything else up. Just think about like the podcasting space, right? When you first came across podcasts, your brain was absolutely dry, but then all of a sudden, it started getting soaking up with all the podcasts that you already listened to, and now it's already full. It's very hard to actually for a new podcast to, to come in compared to where it was at the start before everything was soaked in. So the, the metaphor is working so far. We've got an overcommunicated society. As individuals, uh, we use an oversimplified mind. So our, like a sponge, once that sponge is all wet and soaked, it's not picking anything else up. Here's where the metaphor might sort of fall apart a bit. But the solution here they're saying for anyone who's trying to get their message inside that sponge is to cut through it. Mm. I don't know how cutting through the sponge helps, but that's what we need to do. We've got an over-communicated world. Uh, everybody's brains are now oversimplified. So, really, the only way to cut through is with an oversimplified message. Yeah, I guess if you cut it, it releases the internal stresses on the sponge <laughs> and releases a bit of moisture. So You can get a bit more in there. You get a bit more in <laughs> maybe there. Maybe more surface area to add your message, maybe. So, we're in an over-communicated world and with our oversimplified minds, the best approach is to have an oversimplified message that does cut through the sponge and actually injects itself in. Less is more. We need to eliminate all the ambiguities. We need to simplify the message. All these creative advertisers who are trying to create something inspirational or different or magical like that, they're just not going to work. You need to go, you need to go simple and you need to position yourself. So the solution which is presented by this book is to get into the prospect's mind and firstly is understanding and using what's already in their mind and positioning your message next to what's already in so it can sneak its way into the back door of the brain also. Nice. So we want to get into people's minds. The easiest way to get into people's minds is to be first. You know, who was the first man to walk on the moon? Neil Armstrong. Who was the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic? Amelia Earhart. Who was the first billionaire into space? Richard Branson. You're not going to think of who the second was. You know, who was the second man on the moon? Who was the second woman to fly across the Atlantic? Or who was the second billionaire into space? Obviously, it hasn't happened yet. Elon's playing it safe while Richard Branson's taking his risks. But that's the easiest way to get in is to be first. So, whoever the first is, it's always going to occupy a piece of real estate in the mind and it's getting very, very, very difficult to actually dislodge it from there because nobody else out there can be the first person to walk on the moon because that position's been taken. No one's going to be able to kick Neil Armstrong off that perch. 
if you think of products like Kleenex with the first tissues and now people often instead of saying, can you pass me a tissue, they say, can you pass me a Kleenex or Coca was the first cola. You know, people don't say, can you pass me a cola, they say, can you pass me a Coke. So if you're first, then you get to occupy that, that valuable real estate in somebody's mind. Yeah, when it comes to a lot of social media, um, I think MySpace hurts this analogy, but let's just say Facebook. <laughs> let's ignore, yeah, pretend let's that ignore never MySpace, but let's just say Facebook was the first um, in social media. It sort of occupied that whole territory. but So no one really could dislodge Facebook in that sense. However, they could actually look for different categories to go into. So Twitter, that was the first in the real short form sort of content. YouTube, that was the first in sort of video content online. Instagram was the first in photos. Then, of course, TikTok, it couldn't really dislodge any of those previous ones. It came in as this short form video. So sort of like a hybrid of uh, what YouTube and Twitter. So what's missing there, Asher? They're all billionaires. I think it'll be combined. I think it's all taken actually. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something new maybe for someone smarter than us, I reckon. But so that's sort of the, the easy way into the mind is to be first. The hard way into the mind. So like what happens if you're not Neil Armstrong or what if you're not Kleenex or if you're not Coke or if you're not Facebook, how do you get in? So if you're not the first person in the prospect's mind and you're trying to get into the mind, then that's going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, in many ways, it's uh, it's good to have the best product. You might cut, come up with something that's better than Facebook. It gets rid of all the glitches, all the all of the weaknesses, but it doesn't really mean anything because you're not going to be first. So it's far better to be first than to be better. Yeah, being better isn't necessarily the best approach or being the best isn't necessarily the best like if you think of somebody who wants to come in and, and be the best long-form podcaster in the world it's going to be extremely hard to to overthrow joe rogan because he was the he was sort of the first one that really established that position it's going to be pretty hard to knock him off his perch yeah i feel like there's probably thousands if not tens of thousands of people replicating exactly what joe rogan's style is wouldn't be surprised if they're better than him out of the tens of thousands of people but Joe Rogan occupies that part of the brain whenever you feel like listening to a long-form podcast, just about generic topics of humor, tinge of self-development, and just tinge of all these little things. Uh, Rogan comes up first. So in our mind, we've got these we've got these various different ladders of how we rank products according to how we see them or how the world sees them. One example of a of a ladder of a category could be say the chocolate chocolate bars, the different ladders that you've got there. You could have your Hershey's, your Lint, your Cadbury, your Kit Kat, your Mars bar, your Milky bar. Uh, there's going to be, they're, they're all occupying different rungs on the ladder and you're going to rank them according to how you how you see those. Yeah, there's a lot of ladders that are already pretty full. I think a pretty cool job to get into would be like brewing your own beer or something. Um, but if you think about the ladder that's already out there, you've got Stone and Wood, Fat Yak, Coopers, James Squire, then down the bottom, I guess, in one sense, our show may be your ladder because you wrote these <laughs> notes for Furphy, Hahn, Carlton. Yeah, they're way, and, VB, they're way down the bottom of the ladder. So, yeah. So, if you want to crack out, go out there and crack it into the beer market, like how could you do something like that when the ladder's already full? Yeah. If the ladder's full and you're trying to force your thing to be another rung, you're probably going to be a rung at the very, very bottom. It's going to be a pretty bloody tough way in. So, what they suggest, the only way to really get in is to either dislodge something that's already in there, so try to knock off Carlton Draft off its rung on the ladder, which is going to be pretty tough, or you find something that's already on the ladder and position yourself, position your product alongside that. That's kind of the, the sneaky way in, I guess. Rather than trying to knock something off, link yourself to something that's already on the ladder that's already in somebody's brain. Where does an 800-pound 
400 kilogram behemoth gorilla sleep. It's a lot bigger than all of them. It can sleep wherever it wants. It wakes up and <laughs> yeah. says, hey, move over, Johnny. Uh, you're just you're half my size. Get out of my way. I'm sleeping there tonight next to your partner and uh, we're going to make some sweet love and you're going to do nothing about it. That's right. Leaders can basically do anything they want. And history shows that the first brand in the brain, the first brand that's on the top rung of the ladder, they're going to get a hell of a lot more of the market share than number two on the ladder. If you think about Coke versus Pepsi, if you think about Google versus Bing, if you think about you know smartphones, iPhones versus Samsung, McDonald's versus Burger King, all these top brands are going to have a lot bigger market share than the second rung on that ladder. Yeah, if you think about really the, the first search engine that correctly got into the mind as the first search engine was uh, Google. It's a big switching cost getting away from going to Google, going to Bing or something like that when it automatically takes you to Bing. I'll actually, even though it does the exact same function, for some reason in my brain, I'll just go straight back to Google and put extra effort to get there. Similar thing with smartphones. I think iPhone was the first smartphone out there. Anything that came on after, it doesn't matter how much money they're putting into it or how good their product is. It's very hard to dislodge the, the first 800-pound gorilla that is at the top of the ladder. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits of leadership and, and marketing textbooks will probably tell you how good these companies were at marketing. They'll talk about how good Coke's marketing was or how good uh, Kodak's marketing was in the day or how good Google or, or Apple's marketing was. But when you look really look at it, it's probably they were just the first. They were the leader. They established a strong position on the top rung of the ladder and that's really then all the benefits accrued to them. Yeah, stores are more likely to stock the, the leading brand. There might be 100 brands of Coca-Cola out there, but if you're just going to have a small fridge and just stock one product, you're just going to go straight to the leader. You're not going to pick anything else. You're going to go straight to Coca-Cola. Well, let's say you're one of the smartest students going around. You've got your perfect score at uh, high school. You're like, All right, I want to go to the best university. Uh, my mind would go straight to something like Harvard, one of the Ivy League schools out there. There might be hundreds of universities out there, but the, all the best students are just going to go to the ones that's um, branded as the leader. And without even looking, I wouldn't be surprised if Harvard's got the longest history and was one of the first uh, universities. Yeah, you'd think so for sure. As the leader, because you get all these benefits, there are a lot of things that you can do right and attract all these benefits. There are a couple of things you can do wrong though. There's a, there's a few ways you can stuff up as a leader. Uh, just because you're a leader doesn't mean you're going to dominate everything. So you've got Coke, then they bring out a lemonade, Sprite, that does pretty well. You bring out the orange Fanta, that does very well. One thing that they couldn't knock off the perch though was Dr. Pepper. So Dr. Pepper was the first in this thing. Have you ever had it? Uh, yeah, it's gross. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's super, super popular. Maybe, maybe a lot more so in the US than here. But so Dr. Pepper was really the first in that thing and uh, Coke tried to create a rival. They called it Mr. Pib, um, which is a lot, Dr. Pepper sounds a lot cooler than Mr. Pib, yeah? Mm. But Coke thought, well, we're bigger, we're better, we're Coke, so we can knock Dr. Pepper off the perch. But they were the second one to, to do it and they couldn't overthrow their rival, Dr. Pepper. Basically, Mr. Pib has been dying a slow, long death over decades, whereas Dr. Pepper is still winning to the weirdos who like Dr. Pepper. So let's say if you are Dr. Pepper, you know, you'd say we're number one in, <laughs> really don't know what category Dr. <laughs> Pepper is. It is. It's really its own category, right? <laughs> like I don't even know what it tastes like. But they could enhance their own, that entire category in people's minds. They don't have to go around talking about their brand. They don't have to say we're the best. We can just talk about the category because that category in general, people wake up and, Gee, they must be in a weird mood to think they feel like something like Dr. Pepper. They're just going to think of number one only. That's right. If you, as the leader, you shouldn't be necessarily 
advertising or marketing your own products, you should really just be pumping up the category. So, you know, 50 years ago, IBM, they were dominant in the computer category. So what IBM should have gone out and done and, and what they really did was really promoting computers. You know, everybody should use a computer. You should use a computer at home. You should use a computer at work because then if they're promoting this category of computers and everyone thinks I want a computer, then they think, okay, cool, I'm going to buy an IBM. There's a big fail that all the big dog leaders do out there with all the big power and the resources they've got. They naturally just want to expand their influence and their power and their company and just go into new areas. And when we do that, there's a right way to go about it and a wrong way to go about it. Yeah, they they call this the trap of line extension versus the, the multi-brand strategy. Colgate stuffed it up big time. So you've got Colgate dominant in sort of toothpaste and oral health. The if you look at the supermarket, especially here in Oz, like you, you go to the toothpaste and the toothbrush aisle, pretty much everything is Colgate. Uh, but then Colgate, for some bizarre reason, whoever it was at Colgate thought, oh, we've got this awesome brand. We've, we've dominated Colgate. You know, Everybody knows Colgate. Everybody loves Colgate. Let's use our brand and all the brand equity that we've built up and let's, make, let's try out a different category. And the first thing they thought of was, let's go into frozen foods. And so they made Colgate lasagna. Ooh. Which just it just it just sounds disgusting if, because you know you think of Colgate you think of toothpaste yeah well Lasagna's, they own that they own that yeah. category yeah. you could I could say pass me a Colgate yeah. and we know exactly yeah. what it is but then like lasagna is almost like the opposite like lasagna is probably the worst thing for it's like like you don't want your lasagna tasting like toothpaste and you probably don't want to eat lasagna straight after brushing your teeth so the positioning of Colgate beef lasagna is just all wrong so the line extension strategy is a bit of a stinker way to do it if you're a leader out there. You're much better off going out there and creating a new brand. And with this new brand, you're going to um, take on some of the other strategies of, of how you position yourself as a brand, but you're not going to change the positioning of your existing brand and then nudge in somewhere else. It has to be something entirely new. I think uh, our good mates at Google, they've read this book. Uh, they're owned by a company called Alphabet. And Alphabet's actually in a whole bunch of different places. Like if they wanted to, they could use the Google name and the brand to go into different areas. Like they've got Deep Minds, they've got Sidewalk Labs, which I know is a construction company. They've got Capital G, Calico, all these other things you never heard of. But in doing so, they're not doing the line extension of their, of their heavyweight Google brand. Yeah, they're not saying Google search, Google video, Google construction, Google AI. They're, they're trying to use different brand names and different things. I think probably Procter & Gamble is a, a good example of a, of, of a one sort of overarching brand that you probably don't even know owns all these different brands. Like they dominate all the different areas. They dominate laundry detergent. They dominate soap. They dominate shampoos. They dominate uh, nappies or diapers, toilet paper. But it's not like Procter & Gamble toilet paper, Procter & Gamble uh, nappies, they've got Pampers, they've got Charmin, they've got Head & Shoulders, Joy, Crest, Ivory, Tide, all these different things that you wouldn't even know as Procter & Gamble. And because they've used a different name and a different brand in each different area, they can retain sort of the top rung of the ladder in every different category. So once you become the leader, it's not the end of your whole positioning program. You're not putting your feet up. You're not just done and dusted. We've, we've made it. We've got the awesome brand. We need to start again with our positioning for every new brand that we create if we want to dominate a new market. Let's face it, 99% of us, we're not going to be at the very top of the rung. We're not going to be leading a certain category automatically. A lot of us, we want to be positioning ourselves. We're behind and we want to jump on the ladder. What works for a leader definitely won't work for a follower. If you're not the first, if you're not the original, if you're not the real thing and you try to 
pretend like you are, if you're trying to pretend like you're better, you're just going to be seen as me too. So too many companies out there are trying to focus on being better. They're trying to make a, a better mousetrap. But better is not necessarily better. You need to be faster. You need to prioritize speed and getting to something first. You want to be looking for an area that you can be first in. So to establish dominant leadership, it's not to be better. We need to be first in something. And there's a term here the French love to say, chercher le chrono. That's pretty <laughs> that was good, actually, I thought. Normally you stuff those yeah, up, but really that was actually pretty good. good. <laughs> um, and this translates for all the Frenchies out there. Look for the hole. Yeah, we need to chercher le chrono and then fill it. We don't want to be bigger and better. So that the old school marketing philosophy is bigger and better. That's not really the way to do it. The best way to do it is probably to be smaller and faster because we need to be looking for the hole and then filling the hole. We need to find a crack or find a gap in the market and be the first ones to fill it. So one chrono we could look for is the size one. Uh, and this was going back a few decades, but it's you know positioning is still relevant today because there was a time when there was a lot of different car manufacturers out there making them bigger, longer, um, and ride a bit lower. And that's where everyone was going. When it comes to positioning, if it's going in that direction, there might be a little chrono uh, <laughs> opening up at the other end. And this is where Volkswagen popped in. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who were driving in the cities and there's this little car park there and all the big cars, they couldn't fill it. But there was this beautiful little car that could pop in and and that's what Volkswagen came in with their marketing. They had a very simple ad and which cut through and that was Think Small. Yeah, this ad, which was totally different, was like it was basically a big white sheet of paper on like a magazine ad and then in the tiny, tiny little corner, like 5% of the, the whole page was just this one little Volkswagen Beetle and that idea of Think Small where it was just going completely different to all the other cars. So if you didn't want a big gas guzzler, if, the, if you didn't want that uh, monster, monster truck type of car, then you can, you've now got a different option and that's to go small. So if you think about it, we are talking about podcasts earlier. I think there is a big trend of people following, like you are mentioning, Joe Rogan, where a lot of people are just trying to do these long-form podcasts about similar topics. So if you're looking to start a podcast, it's, you could ask the question, you might want to feel like you want to do exactly that, but it might be a better way in terms of positioning to think, all right, what specifically, Cranu, <laughs> I was going to tear out how I pronounce that <laughs> word eventually, but could you feel? So the big long form self-improvement podcasts are done. Um, can you go a little bit more niche than that? If you want to stay in the long form, it might be about a certain topic or you might want to go short term. Who out there is doing the one minute uh, self-improvement sort of quote of the day sort of style? And if that's been filled up, um, who in that space can you feel? Can it be about, again, a more specific and more niche topic or for a more niche market? You might look for teens in the 10 to 20-year range or you might look for uh, the oldies and the laggards who are just jumping on social media for the first time with empty rungs in their ladders. So that's like the size chrono. We've also got like a price chrono where you can, there's always going to be room for the cheapest, the cheapest car, the cheapest beer, the cheapest phone, the cheapest computer. There's also always going to be room at the other end for the, the high price or the premium, the premium ice cream, the premium chocolate, the luxury cars, the luxury watches, the high price jewelry. Uh, just because you set a high price doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be successful, but you need to be looking in your market, in your category, where's the chrono? Is the chrono at the, the low end or at the high end? Think about last year when online uh, video meetings and everything started. We first had Zoom, which popped up, and that was the first for a lot of people. Then beyond that, there was a little chrono that opened in like in-house communications and in-house meetings. And uh, yeah, Microsoft Teams came in there with a combination of Slack and instant video calling. 
And then there might have been a Kronu. We used to use Zoom for our podcasting. But then uh, Riverside came in and does a very similar need but fills it just specifically for, for podcasters. Another Kronu could be the Age Kronu. Uh, you, you've got me into saying Kronu. I was saying Kronu before. I don't know say what French... hole. Can we just say hole? hole? <laughs> Can we say hole? It's an easy well, there's, word. Well, there's a sex Kronu and I think a sex Kronu sounds better than a sex hole. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, I guess we can go with that. But they talk about the sex Kronu uh, where Philip Morris, they created Marlboro, which was specifically the first masculine cigarette. That was for the cowboys and for the real men who wanted to smoke cigarettes. They go for Marlboro. And of course, that sex hole or that sex Kronu opened up another sex hole. And then you can have the, the female or the, the more feminine cigarettes as well. Uh, <laughs> that's disgusting. But the Virginia Slims came along as sort of the first to fill the hole of uh, the more feminine cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it worked there. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a natural resistance against this because a lot of us, we don't want to trap ourselves in a hole. We think if we're going to go too niche, we're not going to be able to capture uh, a wider target market, a wider group of people. We sort of want to be... All things to all people. Decades ago, decades and decades ago, I'd say, probably did work when the sponge was completely dry. Mm. You could just jump in there and the moisture just soak up anything. But today, it's just simply not going to cut it. We need to go and position ourselves properly. Yeah, it feels counterintuitive. If you want to make a lot of money, then you want to be all things to all people. But really, the only way to actually cut through, the only way to really fill a chronot is to go niche, to pick a specific position, to fill that position by being ruthless about who you exclude and ruthless about the only types of people that you are targeting. So we've spoken about the importance of positioning, of picking a position and sticking to it. We've spoken about what you can do as a leader, how to make the most of your position. We've spoken about what you can do as a follower in that you need to find a chrono and fill it. There's also another strategy, which is repositioning the competition. So we know that if we've only got a certain amount of rungs on our ladder, if there's only a certain amount of space in our brain, the way to get into the brain is not to come and say that you've got something brand new, but to link it to what's already in there. What I think uh, is a good example, they, the, the first cars that came along was they, they didn't say, hey, this is brand new revolutionary thing that you've never seen before. They actually said it's a horseless carriage. So everyone knows what a horse and carriage is. They said, well, it's kind of like that, but without the horse. So you need to kind of reposition according to what's already in the brain as a way of getting in there. I think one that really cuts through the sponge was uh, Canadian Dry. In the had some really brilliant marketing techniques, which has got me drinking it, to be honest, um, where it's got the question over beer with a question mark and then it has the exact same sort of beer ads, the stereotypical beer ads out there, but it says it's over beer. So it's for the people who kind of resonate with this exact sort of demographic or psychographic type of person, but for the people who just don't like beer, and I think there's a whole bunch of people mm. out there who just drink beer because yeah. <laughs> everyone drinks you're beer. out with the, the lads and everyone's just getting a beer, so that's what you do. But if you're out with the lads and everyone else is getting a beer, you could still be part of that exact same category with getting it Canadian Dry. And luckily, they actually filled their own canoe in that exact space as well because they got Canadian Dry sugar and they got Canadian Dry no sugar as well. So I think they proactively <laughs> filled two in that stone, which they, yeah, got me drinking it. Yeah, if you think about uh, uh, one strategy is saying, hey, we've got this brand new, something completely different, um, try this instead. But this is actually just saying, hey, if you're already kind of drinking beer, but you want something a little bit better, here's a different alternative to beer. So they're not trying to crack onto a new rung of the ladder. They're linking themselves to the leader and saying, well, here's a different way of doing it. There's an example here in the book of, of American Vodkas. There was one ad, which is pretty similar, said most American vodkas seem Russian. 
Then the caption said, Samovar, made in Pennsylvania. Smirnoff, made in Connecticut. Wushmit, made in Indiana. And it says, Stolichanya <laughs> says Stolichanya is different. It's made in Russia. That's a good way to reposition the leader. You got, you know, if you think of vodka, Smirnoff is probably the one that comes to mind first. And it looks Russian. It's got the red label. Uh, and but then you find out, oh, hang on, this Russian vodka is actually made in America. Then this is a good way of repositioning. Saying, hey, if you want some real shit, if you want some real vodka, get the vodka that's actually made in Russia. Another good one, an older one from forty or fifty years ago. There was a, a TV ad uh, where Hershey's chocolate bar was kind of the leader of sort of snacks or confectionery. And uh, the ad was two kids go up to the milk bar with their 50-cent coin. One buys a Hershey's bar. One buys a box of milk duds, both for 50 cents. And the kid with the Hershey's, he rips it open. He smashes it down. Within about three seconds, it's gone. Then you've got the other kid who's just chomping on these milk duds, which is like chocolate-coated caramels. He's chewing one. He gets his box. There's another one. Chews another one. Opens a box. Gets another one. There's just so many milk duds in there. And this, the first kid who's already finished his Hershey bar, he's pretty pissed off that he was finished. You know, he was thinking, man, how did we spend the same out mine's already gone he's still eating his eventually the other kid with the milk duds shares his and so it's just saying that okay you got two options hershey's is the leader but hey if you want something a bit more long lasting then maybe you should try some milk duds so a lot of people out there have tried to do repositioning campaigns and failed flat on their face so just saying we're better than our competitors it's not a repositioning strategy we need to think a bit harder than that we need to open up a psychological gap in the prospect's mind The world of advertising and the world of communication has kind of gone through three different eras. Back in the 1950s, advertising was all in the, the product era. I guess some, some uh, marketers might say they were the good old days where the better product won out. All you needed was a better mousetrap. If you had the best product and you had enough money to run ads for the best product, then you could win the game. The next phase was the image era and the king of this was David Ogilvy. I've got one of his books on the, on the, uh, on the bookshelf there. By the sounds of it, it's a bit outdated now, unfortunately, so we're not going to be covering that on the podcast. But he said that every advertisement should be a long-term investment in the image of the brand. He proved this theory through his work of the biggest brands like Rolls-Royce, Schweppes, David Soap, and many others. But then it was sort of a me too, and that's where everyone went again, and the noise level became so high in that specifically that very few could succeed. So that's how we find ourselves now. We've gone through the product era. We've gone through the image era of those beautiful ads. Now we're in the positioning era. There's just so much communication, so much crap flying around that really the only way to get into somebody's mind is to position yourself alongside something that's already in there. It's going to be super hard to try to crack into somebody's mind. So the only way to do it is with a clear and simple message that can cut through and link to something that's already in their mind. Find the hole, go out there and fill it in advertising. You can reposition the leader, you can create a new ladder, or you can take their spot on the ladder with the right amount of strategy. 